If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in Matthew 5 verses 33 through 37 today as we continue in our study in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically looking at these six illustrations of what righteousness in the kingdom of Jesus looks like. Uh, just a forewarning, I'm here in the foyer of Encounter Church, right in front of these windows and the, the front doors, if you remember that. So you may hear some traffic sounds as I'm preaching, but I uh, just found it encouraging to see things slowly getting back to normal a little bit. So we'll welcome these sounds of folks walking around and driving about their business. Um, hopefully you're in Matthew 5 now. Um, and if you have headings in your Bible, you might see the word oaths as a heading right before uh, chapter 33. I, I'm sorry, verse 33. And so in that we're, we're clued in that here Jesus is speaking about oaths and promises. As a child, I remember that there were, there were two main ways to, to make an oath. Uh, the first was to say that you were going to do whatever you were going to do and then follow that with the statement, cross my heart hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Um, and while I'm sure that, uh, that many kids broke those promises, I'm also fairly confident that nobody held the promise breaker to the, um, how do we say, the punishment for breaking that promise. Um, the second way that you could make an oath on the playground was with a, a pinky promise uh, or a, a pinky swear by, whereby you, you joined pinkies in the most solemn way that you possibly can join pinkies and then make a, a promise to one another and you, you seal your word to each other. Maybe those are some other ways of, of making a promise are familiar to you. From our, our youth, we have this concept of, of swearing that we will do something, of, of giving our word to others. And, and vows and promises seem to have existed for most of human history and in all different cultures. And while we will, while as we will see, they're, they're not completely bad, uh, after just a few moments of reflection, we can easily see that, that oaths and promises and swearing that they are only necessary because we are untrustworthy and we are untrusting people. We saw last week that, that divorce was a concession made by God because of our hard hearts. And in a similar way, oaths are necessary because we are untrustworthy and we are untrusting. Playground promises and boardroom contract, contracts exist because we fail to keep our word. Seeing that helps us to, to get behind Jesus' teaching to understand that it's not simply about how to or whether or not we should make oaths, which could seem irrelevant to us. Rather, Jesus is instructing us about what it means to be trustworthy and truthful people. He, he makes it clear that as God's kingdom people, we must be marked by consistent truthfulness in our words and actions. As God's kingdom people, we must be marked by consistent truthfulness in our words and actions. And consistently truthful people are therefore trustworthy people that shine like a city on a hill and become the preserving, flavoring salt of the earth. As God's kingdom people, we must be marked by consistent truthfulness in our words and actions. Telling the truth, being trustworthy, keeping your promises, being a, a person of your word. These are rare and beautiful gifts in our day and in any day. 
maybe when I think about when you when you think about being someone who is trustworthy or truthful, someone comes to your mind that that has those qualities. Maybe a family member or a or a friend or even a, a coworker that you can just bet your life on, who, who's worthy of your trust. These people are a blessing to have in our lives. In a very different vein, we might think about the present pandemic and the division that has come amongst various groups regarding what is the right way to respond or what's the right way to reopen. Now, there's a lot of baggage behind that division, but I think a big part of the issue is that nobody trusts anybody else. Nobody trusts the media. Nobody trusts the politicians. Nobody trusts the doctors. Nobody trusts the numbers. Nobody trusts their neighbors. And it's not just pandemics that, that show this lack of trust. Our skepticism and our doubt find themselves expressed in countless other areas of life and in almost every relationship that we have. And because no one seems trustworthy, we're, we're forced to make vows and promise, promises. And because no one seems truthful, we sometimes assume that, that we need to be deceptive and duplicitous and disingenuous and dishonest if we're going to get by in life. We stretch the truth and we, we break our promises and we fail to keep our, world, our word. But in a world with, with little integrity, Jesus calls us not to go along with the crowd, but to swim against the current. He tells us that as, as God's kingdom people, we must be marked by consistent truthfulness in our words and actions. Friends, this applies to all of us. Children, do you tell the truth to your parents or to your siblings or to your friends? Are you someone that people trust? They trust that you'll say that you'll do what you say? Or do you have to convince people to believe you? For all of us in our closest relationships, have we proven ourselves to be truthful and transparent? Can our spouse, our children, our friends, our parents, our neighbors, can they trust us? In our workplaces, are we known as those who have a, a deep commitment to honesty? In our speech, do we speak the truth always? Or do we play with our words? I'm on my way. Tell them I'm not here. I wish I could have been there. I'll be praying for you. Seeing our, our shortcomings in this area, we can ask how we might, uh, how, how we who are committed followers of Jesus, Jesus, the one who is the truth incarnate, how can we grow in this area of being truthful and trustworthy? Well, let's hear the words of Jesus here in this fourth illustration of what kingdom righteousness looks like in our daily lives. Look at Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Matthew 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. As God's kingdom people, we must be marked by consistent truthfulness in our words and actions. By now, we should be familiar with the pattern of these illustrations. You have heard it said, but I say to you, 
followed by some practical application. And by now we should also be looking at the quote from the Old Testament, not simply with eyes to understand what was said in the past by, by Moses, but also with eyes to see how the Pharisees were distorting the law for their own advantage and for the promoting of their self-righteousness. The words of verse 33 don't actually have an exact parallel, but there is certainly strong Old Testament teaching regarding the, the taking of vows and of oaths, and most of them find their roots in the third commandment of Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the, the thrust of this command is not primarily about not using the Lord's name when you stub your toe, but it's more about not invoking the Lord's name when making a vow or a promise. It's a command against flippantly announcing, I swear to God I will do it, when you may not follow through on that announcement. Or, or even when you have no intention of keeping your word and using the Lord's name. That would be taking it in vain. Leviticus 19.12 gets at this when it says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. To, to swear by the name of the Lord and then contrary to his faithful character to break our word is to profane God's name and to take glory from him. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23 also speaks about keeping the vows that we make, especially those that we make to God. It says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Uh, one more Old Testament passage, Zechariah 8, 16 to 17, helps us to see that the heart behind all of this is that the, the Lord desires his people to be those who speak the truth always. It says, these are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. Boy, that train is getting me right now. Let me read that again. Zechariah 8, 16 to 17. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So it's, it's clear that the, that the Old Testament isn't anti-vow. God himself makes promises and he calls us to be promise keepers as well. But obviously God is very much against the making of false oaths or using oaths to take advantage of others. As we saw in the introduction, the making of vows is only necessary because we lack faith and because we are often untrustworthy. Or as John Stott writes, oath-taking is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Vows and oaths are a concession. God does not make oaths because he may not follow through on his word, but as a way of, of bolstering our, our weak faith. Gideon in the book of Judges comes to mind who, who needed signs and, and promises from God in order to move forward in faith. And God graciously gave them to Gideon, not because God is untrustworthy, but because Gideon was weak in faith. On the other hand, we make oaths and, and we swear by different things because we are untrustworthy and often fail to keep our word to others. We'll see that 
Jesus gets to the place of saying that oaths should be unnecessary for members of his kingdom. But we should first note how the, how the Pharisees twisted oath-making and thereby took the Lord's name in vain. So again, while the Old Testament makes it clear that, that, keeping, that making oaths was not forbidden by God, that the Pharisees, in seeking for loopholes, missed the whole point of this. James Montgomery Boyce says that the, the Pharisees' oaths were frivolous and evasive. They were frivolous in that they made oaths about everything. They, they were constantly promising and swearing regarding their words and actions down to the, the smallest things. But more pertinent to this discussion is the fact that their oaths were evasive. In fact, they, they turned the words that they used to make vows into a means of making promises that they didn't intend to keep. This comes out in verses 34 and 35 with the three things that Jesus says we are not to take oaths on. Namely, he says, don't swear by heaven, by earth, or by Jerusalem. And then he adds a fourth in verse 36, don't make an oath by your own head. A passage further on in Matthew pulls back the curtain on this. In a series of woes in, in Matthew 23, Jesus says this in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Here is their evasive logic. The, the evasive logic of the Pharisees is if you swear by God that you will do something, then you have to fulfill that vow. But if you can swear by other things that are not God himself and therefore Therefore, you're not as firmly bound to, to keep your word, to keep that oath. And if you break that oath, you're not guilty in the same way as if you had sworn by God to do it. These things were considered secondary oaths. I think of them as the first century way of, of crossing your fingers behind your back when you're making a promise. These secondary oaths were, were seen as a, a way to, be, to, to present yourself as trustworthy, but then to not be bound by your word. It was a way to, to claim that you were keeping the law, to claim that you were righteous, while at the same time acting unrighteously. Jonathan Pennington captures the evasiveness of the Pharisees that, that Jesus was pressing on. He writes this, Jesus is speaking to the heart issue of trying to get out of fulfilling one's vows by semantic, that's like wordplay, by semantic and technical arguments about the supposed differences between the objects upon which one based their vows. And that's why Matthew 23 and here in, in Matthew 5, Jesus exposes that the Pharisees' logic is faulty and their focus is wrong. Their logic is faulty, Jesus says, and he also says that their focus is wrong. First, their logic is faulty because God is the maker and the source of everything. In Matthew 23, he says that everything about the temple finds its final meaning and significance in God. So, so to swear by the temple or its materials in any way is to swear by God himself. 
And here in Matthew 5, he is clear that swearing by heaven is to swear by the throne of God, to swear by the earth is to swear by his footstool, and to swear by Jerusalem is to swear by his holy city. The image that, that emerges when from, from that is, is just a, a, of God sitting on this massive throne that, that fills the whole earth. It reminds us that God is the maker and the source of all things, that he is the ruler of the universe. So there is nothing that we can swear on that is not, not ultimately a swearing by God. Therefore, correct logic concludes that, that to make any oath and break it is to break the third commandment, and it's to profane God's name. And that includes our very selves. We, we can't swear by our own heads, Jesus says, as if, we, as if we own them, because we're dependent on God to hold us together. Practically speaking, we, we might sign a, a document, or we might click on the internet that we agree to something, or we might make a promise that we don't intend to keep. And when we do that, we imagine that it's only our integrity that we are compromising. But that logic is faulty. To not keep our word in any way is to take the Lord's name in vain because God is our maker and our sustainer. The logic of the Pharisees is faulty just as ours often is. And second, their focus is wrong. Their focus is wrong because they focused on keeping the law while being completely untrustworthy. They focused on looking righteous rather than being righteous. And this is where the foolishness and self-deception of self-righteousness is revealed so clearly. If, if you lived in the first century and you understood the logic of, of the Pharisees regarding oaths, what would you think about them? Would you ever trust a Pharisee? Of course you wouldn't. And, that, that, and then what would be the point of, of any of their, their vows? You'd always be wondering if they were swearing on something that was of high enough value and high enough merit for them to keep that vow. These supposed teachers of the law would, would become some of the most deceptive and untrustworthy people around. Have you ever had someone get you on a technicality like that? Where, where they've made a clear promise, but then when you, when you call them on it, they say, well, that's not really what I meant. Or when a, a company makes a promise, they give you some sort of a, a warranty. And then they say, well, if you read the fine print, you'd actually see that, that what you're asking for is not covered. And don't even get me started on insurance policies with my utmost apologies to any of you who might sell insurance. When it comes down to it, the, the faulty logic and the wrong focus of the Pharisees boils down to simply being unloving. If the law is fulfilled through love for neighbor and love for God, then to be untrustworthy is to not respect or love God, and it's to not love our neighbor. And we've all been untrustworthy, just like the Pharisees. We've all tried to justify our actions and justify our words. So we must repent. We must put off deception and unfaithfulness. We must be renewed in the spirit of our minds by the power of God through faith in Jesus and the indwelling of the Spirit. And we must put on. Put on what? What is the better way of Jesus? It's to tell the truth and to trust the Lord. The better way of Jesus is to tell the truth and to trust the Lord. So for, trust the Lord. So first of all, tell the truth. The instruction of Jesus is very simple. It is to simply tell the truth. And he says here, our yes should mean yes, and our no 
should mean no. No vows or oaths necessary. No, I swear to God I'll do it. No, I promise on my grandmother's grave. None of that foolishness for people in God's kingdom. James reiterates what Jesus' words in James 5, 12 almost quotes them. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Or as the colloquial phrase goes, say what you mean and mean what you say. Jesus wants oaths to be completely unnecessary for those who are part of his kingdom. He wants us to be trustworthy people, people who, that, where people can, can take our word for what we say, and there is no need for oaths. Part of the reason for that, according to Matthew 5.37, is that anything else, anything other than just saying yes or no, comes from evil. It comes from the evil of not trusting others or of not being trustworthy. It comes from the evil that tries to make a vow slippery enough to get out of. And ultimately, such untrustworthiness finds its roots in the evil one himself, who Jesus calls the father of lies. When we lie and deceive, when we make false oaths, when we break our promises, we mark ourselves as members of the kingdom of Satan, not the kingdom of God. We look more like a, a forked-tongued serpent than the Son of God. In contrast, members of God's kingdom are marked not by evil, but by love. They love their neighbor by being trustworthy. We are, we are those that others can count on to do what we say. Is that true of you? in all of your relationships? Is your speech filled with, filled with integrity or is it filled with lying and excuses and equivocation? And while the focus here is on, is on our words, we might also ask, are our lives marked by this kind of integrity? By a lack of hypocrisy? We who say that we are followers of Jesus should live truthfully in public and in private. To be those who tell the truth should also remind us that, that we are to be those who tell the truth of the gospel to others. There's nothing more true than the fact that we are sinners and Jesus alone can save us. And there's nothing more loving than to clearly proclaim that truth to others. If, if we long to tell the truth, if we want to be trustworthy, truthful people, then a good place to start is by boldly proclaiming to others, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, the Son of God incarnate, the one who has fulfilled the law through his perfect life, the one who has satisfied the demands of the law through his sacrificial death, the one who has conquered death and hell through his resurrection, the one who has ascended and sits on his throne in heaven, and the one who will return to take us to himself this, that we can speak forth, as Paul says, this is a trustworthy statement. And we, as members of Jesus' kingdom, must tell this truth to others. To do that is to love our neighbor. One more thought regarding telling the truth, and it has to do this with this question of whether or not we should ever make an oath of any kind. 
Should we not sign our names on contracts? Should we not swear on the Bible if we find ourselves in court? Some have taught that, that that's an application of what Jesus says here. But I think I would answer the question of, of taking oaths with, the question, with a question based on verse 37. When it comes to taking an oath, does it come from evil? Jesus says that this all comes from evil. So in our taking of an oath, does it come from evil? Is the oath that we're taking flowing from the desire to deceive others? Or, or the desire to not do what we are promising to do? Or, or from the fact that we're not trustworthy? Or, or rather, is the oath in some way a, a way to love our neighbor in a world that is, is marked by deception? A, a way to assure our neighbor with an oath, even as God has done for us. And if that's the case, then an oath seems helpful. In fact, we may even make oaths to God if we make them with the right measure of reverence. Paul models this for us, as do others throughout Scripture. In our members meeting, we're even going to plan to, to say our, our church covenant together and renew a commitment, an oath, a promise to one another. And these kind of vows are, are good when they're done with good motivations. They don't flow from, from evil. To sum it up regarding whether or not to take oaths, Stott says this, what Jesus emphasized in his teaching was that honest men did not need to resort to oaths. It was not that they should, not, that they should refuse to take an oath if required by some external authority to do so. And so we're seeing that the, the way of the kingdom, the, the way of kingdom righteousness is to tell the truth. And finally, the way of kingdom of the kingdom righteousness is to trust the Lord. This is what we're to put on. Trust the Lord. Ultimately, God alone is trustworthy because God alone is sovereign. Jesus has given us this picture of God as the ruler and the king over all, and we can trust him because he knows and he ordains all things. Our ability to, to tell the truth is not only our ability to tell the truth or, or to not tell the truth is not only limited by whether or not we're trustworthy, but sometimes it's limited by, by our knowledge. So we can think about a passage like James 4, 13 through 17, where we're called to submit all of our plans to the Lord's will and to even say those words, Lord willing, when speaking about the future. That's not a loophole like the Pharisees were looking for, but rather it's a submission to God's kingdom and God's kingship. Because even when, when we are, are most confident and we're most sincere, the Lord alone is sovereign. And so we have to fully trust him and him alone. What a wonderful thing, though, that we, that we serve a sovereign and trustworthy God. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, the, the Lord says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God always does what he says he will do. Numbers 23, 19 tells us this, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No, he does not. He does what he says he will do. And, and in fact, while we cannot swear by our own head, God is so sure of, of his ability to do what he says he will do that he will swear by himself because there's no one higher to swear by. Listen to these beautiful words, Hebrews 6, 
verses 13 through 20, a bit longer, but such a wonderful passage. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, God's word says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What a wonderful passage about how trustworthy our God is. In a, in a world where we can hardly trust anyone, where we can't even trust our own deceptive hearts, we can entrust our eternal souls to God because God is the very definition of trustworthy. He is faithful, and he is, his trustworthy actions have saved us. And the more we trust him, the more we desire to live like him in this world. As God's kingdom people, we must be marked by consistent truthfulness in our words and actions. And when by God's spirit we walk in the ways of Jesus, our truth-telling will shine like a city on a hill. It, it will reveal our love for God and our love for for neighbor, and it will give glory to our Father, who is always faithful and true. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the faithful and true one. Lord, you have always been faithful to us. Everything that you have said you will do, you have done. But we, we, we can come to you as completely trustworthy. Help us by your spirit, to model that trustworthiness in our world. Lord, help us in a world that is so skeptical of one another, in a world where people are let down over and over again, in a world where we are lied to and we are deceived, that, that the church, that our church, that, that we as followers of Jesus would stand forth as truth-telling people, as truthful, trustworthy, reliable people, the people would see that. They would see that we are members of your kingdom. I thank you that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that ultimately, as much as we have failed to be trustworthy, Jesus has been perfect, and our hope of salvation is not in the fact that we've never lied, but our hope is in the fact that Jesus has never lied and that he has paid the penalty for the fact that we have. Lord, thank you for Christ. Help us to walk in his ways. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.